what's going on guys you are now listening to rolling with the d the rolling with the d podcast i am your host sunny d hopefully you guys are doing great having an amazing day amazing week amazing month amazing year and amazing life this podcast what i want to talk about is something that I kind of spoke to or spoke about uh, several podcasts gone by. I think it was in, I think I want to say like episode 16. You'll have to go back because we're rolling into like episode 35 right now of the Rolling with the Deep podcast. So you maybe go back through the archives and take a look. But what I want to talk about is the education, the state of education, especially as it pertains to the beauty industry. Now, it's not. These situations, these things that I've discovered are not solely a part of the beauty industry. I kind of see them in other education worlds as I talk to people that are in school, people that are out of school, and really kind of examine like what's going on with education. Now, one of the biggest things I think is knowing which way you're going, knowing what your product is, and knowing what you're trying to develop. A lot of higher education, I think, post-secondary, meaning you went to kindergarten, you went through 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12th grade, then you graduate, and then next thing you start doing is you start looking at your next educational move, which a lot of times it's going to post-secondary, like a college. Um, could have been back in the day, vocational schools are really big, learning a trade. In particular to what I do as a hairstylist, you go to a cosmetology school. But what happened, I think, and what's happening, and I kind of discovered like this around 2009, 10, just after, I guess it would be just after the bubble burst. I think a new bubble really started forming, and that new bubble, you know, really looks like the education bubble. So, what's going to happen when that education bubble pops or bursts? What is it going to look like? Because a lot of people found themselves out of work, and I think naturally what they were thinking was or what it looks like they were thinking was, well, maybe if I go to school or go back to school, I'm going to be able to get more skills while the job market turns itself around. There will be more opportunity for me with these more skills. And I think that's how the beginning of the bubble started. So what happened? A lot of people, you know, started enrolling in schools. Schools became bigger business. I mean, schools, yes, education, secondary, it's a business, but it became bigger business. And then the bigger the business got, the more, I think, watered down or less it became about the education and more it became about statistics like enrollment and dollars, especially when it came to or when it comes to federal funding, which you'll find in a lot of colleges. And you might also find them in cosmetology schools. And that's, you know, kind of the area that I'm looking at. Having went to a cosmetology school on very minimal financial assistance, 
meaning I paid pretty much out of my pocket. I was able to get a couple of small grants and proceeded to, once I finished school, proceeded to pay them down a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. But when it comes to grants, you know, that's one thing. When it comes to financial, you know, aid, government assistance, that's a whole nother animal. Now, the benefit for the student, obviously, if they're able to qualify for financial aid, they're able to get tuition assistance, it may make something that they really want, like this education, attainable. That's all great. No problem there. But what happens is when schools then are eligible to receive this financial aid, you create a situation where the more aid I receive, the more funds I receive, um, the only way I'm receiving these funds is by enrolling more people. So then the game becomes how much, how many people can I enroll to how much aid I can receive. And so if you look at your student population, and as a school, you know, 50%, 60%, 70%, in some cases 80 to 90% of your students are relying on the financial aid, you then are bringing in tons of money. And it's guaranteed money, right? Because it's the government money. The government, they've got the printing press. They can just print money on demand. And we've seen how they did it. They're in the financial aid crisis, right? They printed, you know, billions and billions of dollars to give to all of these banks who had made terrible bets, terrible loans to people who couldn't afford to pay them back. It became known as too big to fail. So the biggest banks got a bunch of money. And the theory behind it, if you look into it, the theory was, well, let's give these banks, these big banks the money then they can stimulate the economy. Basically, maybe they're the smart ones with money, right? Really, I mean, if you think about that in itself, how smart was that? They're the ones who got us into the situation in the first place. It takes two to tango, I get it. So if you were buying, if you had a, a job that was you know, making minimum wage and then you got approved to buy a $300,000 house and got a loan to buy that house, how smart were you? and taking the money when you knew like you couldn't afford it and if you if you watch the movie the big short there was the adjustable rate mortgages so it was a teaser rate so in the beginning there was very low rate of interest low rate for the loan so it looked like you could afford it but over time you knew it was gonna balloon up and if you played stupid and put it on the bank well the bank shouldn't have made me the loan they knew it was gonna blow blow up and balloon up as soon as those teaser rates expired I say if I'm the judge in that case everyone's guilty but what did we do we gave those banks the money to bail out not only themselves but potentially bail out the economy stimulate the economy get the money in the hands get the account of people that can help the economy grow right that was their theory so the government money looks pretty secure because it's it's a printing press so you can pretty much count on the government can't run out of money if you can just print more Right? It's not backed by anything, it's just paper, it's fiat, it's a currency, it's just paper, right? So that's the situation. So now if your schools start getting tons of this money, what's their incentive become? This is where I think things kind of get a little bit 
blurry and then we start to see just like what's the incentive the incentive is how many people can I enroll and get financial aid for to build my business to build my economy so then the game doesn't become about the education and the quality of the education the game becomes a matter of getting dollars guaranteed dollars from the government so in some of these schools lifted up their head in the last few years and realized oh my goodness 95% of our students maybe even in some cases higher as high as 99% I don't know if there's an actual like balance or a ratio that you have to keep of government versus you know uh, private money or personal loans or whatnot but I'll tell you right now when the schools pick their head up and they're 99% reliant on government funding which is pretty secure money the only way it could go away is if the programs get cut now that would never happen would it well it may because then in 2015 what becomes known as gainful employment act gets written into um, existence by congress and what that does is it starts taking the math and they're like hey you know what this is what the government starts saying we're giving out all this money financial aid money to all these education secondary education private education for-profit education institutions but these people are going to these schools they're getting out in the economy and they're not producing so why are we giving out all this money so they start to take a closer look at it and then all of the schools that have enriched themselves off of this financial aid off of this government money start to panic because the schools have gotten too big and with that growth tremendous growth came a watered-down version of the education a watered-down version the product got lost in, in translation so before as an institution as a higher learning my product was education I had to provide superior education and that's how I would succeed in the marketplace but when all I have to provide is superior body counts to succeed in the marketplace because all these people are getting financial aid and everyone's somehow qualified, then the quality of my education doesn't become the priority or doesn't become the focus. And so when I talked about if I owned a PD school in uh, episode, I want to say 16, you know, that's the number one thing I would be looking at. I'd be looking at the quality of the education, the product, first and foremost. Because if you produce a shitty product, then you're going to get shitty end results. You're going to get people that are, A, not excited about your product. Because, I mean, what if product is education and you have a bunch of students that come there and they feel like they're not getting quality education, they're getting shit education, then you have to look at what happens to them, they get shit attitude, and then they take that shit attitude and take it out to it the marketplace and turn the marketplace into shit. So ultimately what you're doing is you're creating this giant shit snowball because the product got secondary position next to the profit. It's very tricky because if you're
you're running a business, ultimately, you own the business. The reason you went into business, a for-profit business, is to make a profit. Depending on what your margins are, depending on you know what your product is, what kind of volume you have to sell of your product, it becomes tricky. But the biggest thing, and I think what's happened over the years, and as I examine and interview and kind of watch this all unfolding, I see the product not being the primary like star in this whole scenario. The product is taking a back seat to the profit. And we see it, and you see it, and if you're in the education world, if you're an educator, you see it. If you're a student, you see it. If you're a business owner, whether you like to believe it or not, you see it. So then, where does that leave us? That leaves us in this position that we are in right now where everyone can kind of sense something isn't right. No one wants to clearly identify what exactly isn't right. And even scarier, no one wants to identify a solution for what do we do now. So what happens when a bubble expands to the point of it can't expand anymore? All we have to do is look at history. This is nothing new, guys. Right? This is nothing new. The bubble expands, the bubble expands, the bubble expands. It can't expand anymore. And what does it do? Yep, you got it. It pops. Not the worst thing. In the short term, devastating. What does a pop look like? Well, look at the financial crisis that we experienced in 2008. Homes went into foreclosure at a rapid rate no one's ever seen before. They said it was next to the greatest recession, close to depression that we've had. You know, maybe the second worst period of time. The bubble burst and people are going to, there's carnage, right? People are going to go through hell. They're going to lose, lose their businesses. They're going to lose whatever the opportunity that they thought that they had that was in front of them. That's all going to go away. There's going to become a period, there's going to come a period of contraction. But as we know, every period of contraction is followed by a period of expansion. And then we'll do this again, but maybe we'll get it right. And I think the biggest thing as an educator, which my passion is education, and that's you know why I like talking about education, I like talking to educators, I like educating, I like talking to the educatees or the students uh, that are going through their experiences in different institutions. I've talked to college grads, almost college grads, not going to college, beauty school, dropouts, people that are enrolled in beauty school, not wanting to go to beauty school. And people are, are fearful. But they, what they want to know, first and foremost, is they want to know it's not just sizzle. There's a mistake. So you have to look at it. If you have an institution of higher learning, how can you make your education top-notch? Well, whatever the field is, if it's beauty, like the field that I'm in, you have to have the most enthusiastic, passionate hairstylists slash educators that you can find. People that are passionate about 
what you're trying to do is you're trying to educate stylists so they can become successful stylists. So what is a stylist? A person who styles hair and where are they styling the hair? In the salon. So wouldn't it make sense to have people that are passionate about hairstyling in a salon that also are passionate about sharing, learning, and educating to be your educators? You know, that's, that's a simple one right there. You know, knowing what you need to have. Because if you end up with people that are not passionate about hairstyling in the salon, are not passionate, successful hairstylists in salons, how do you expect them to produce passionate, successful hairstylists in salons? So I guess we could call that walking the talk. So that's number one. Number two is if you're going to entice or incentivize or allure a passionate, successful hairstylist that's working in a salon that also has a passion for maybe educating, thought about educating, tried educating, fell in love with it, likes to share. If you're going to lure them in, you're going to have to be able to offer them competitive compensation. Now, your competitive compensation is not the school down the street. So if they're paying you know, $10 an hour, you're paying 11 That's not the competitive comparison. What I'm talking about is what would they be making as a successful, passionate hairstylist in the salon versus what you're willing to pay them? You know, so that's another one. You have to solve that because if you're paying them peanuts, if you're not paying them anything, what you what you get, right? You get what you pay for. So if you're taking the, the lowest possible wage you can pay and it's not even in comparison to what they could make, why would a passionate, successful stylist, I mean, yeah, they may be, say they're making $30 an hour, what it breaks down to in the salon, they may they may settle for 25. They may settle for, you know if they they want to educate. That's a small haircut. But if you're chopping them down to 15, you know, 10 and they're making 30, 40 dollars an hour in the salon, that's not going to attract the quality of educator that you need. And lastly, lastly is being able to understand, you know, how your margins work what your what your school or what your business requires to be profitable and maybe even taking a conservative approach into how you get to that number because if you find yourself in a position where in order to break even you need you know 200 students then you need to be able to support if that goal is to get to break even you need to be able to support those 200 students with a staff, a teacher-student ratio that's appropriate. So if that looks like at paying that premium for the quality of the educator and being able to charge a reasonable tuition to where people can actually afford the education, maybe not solely with government assistance, there's a balance there that you have to work out. Now, I don't own a school, but these are the things that I'd be thinking about. You know, because if I need, 
you know, I'd want to have a student-teacher ratio of no more than 10 students per teacher. Because as an educator, I know once you get beyond 10 students in a classroom, the time becomes a factor, the quality becomes a factor, the one-to-one becomes a factor. Everything starts to become a factor. You know, if, you're, if you go to 15, 20, 30 students and one teacher, more than half of them are not going to be able to get quality the one-to-one or the time that they need. So you have to think about that. But if you've got yourself in a position where the only way that you can break even is having an enormous amount of students keeping your wages for your educators super low, which you think maybe affords you more educators, but the educator, the quality of the educator is diminishing, then you end up in a cycle of poor quality education from poor quality educators that end up frustrated that you're constantly replacing. Then you end up with students frustrated you're constantly replacing. They're dropping out. They're getting out to the workforce undertrained, undermotivated, underinspired, underdeveloped. And over time, this is your bubble growing. And over time, your bubble will grow until it burst. So kind of in, in kind of closing, and this is all this is all just a thesis that I've been thinking about and wanted to share. I think you know the ways the ways that I just shared like some of the things you have to look at and the ways to fix it you know it's first you have to start with the education the product what's gonna make it the best does that mean that we may need to contract you don't have to wait for the bubble to burst you could burst your own bubble you could downsize your operation which might look like oh my god I'm downsizing my operation but sometimes you know you might have to get small to get big so you could downsize your operation. You could look at having a smaller student body. You could look at paying more for your educators. You could look at where your tuition sits. You know, is there room in that tuition to expand or contract it? Because if you know why you're there, right? To make a profit, profit comes in all different shapes and sizes, but to get the fattest margin possible, you know, the, the quality of the education not being paramount, you can do that. But long-term success is probably not going to be part of your reality. Short-term, it may look great. maybe rapid expansion. It may look from the outside like a great thing. But long-term, I don't think it's a sustainable model. You know, so those are some of the things if I, you know, am, am in the business or looking at the business. Some of the things that I see that are pain points right now in the business is I talk to different school owners and I travel around the country. I talk to students, former students. You know, that this is the this is the next you know kind of bubble. This is the next thing. And it's not only it's not only gonna impact potentially like just the beauty industry, it's not a, a one-off case. I mean we're talking multiple sectors, multiple industries that have for profit schools that are just trying to enrich themselves, heavily relying on government funding. Not really concerned about the quality of the educator. Not a lot. Not even like that's not it. Though you got to think also about the quality of the student. Some people hide in school. 
some people if they can get government money and go to a school take a course they feel like they're bettering themselves they have really no intention i know people that have gone to school for 10 15 years after they finished high school and still haven't started a career and they're not becoming brain surgeons they're hopping from beauty school to nursing school to cooking school to this school to that school driving a truck school they're always getting some kind of license in some kind of school and if they're funding that through government assistance they're just leaving a trail of diplomas all over the highway that are meaning nothing so you have to look at the quality of your student high quality education the quality of your educator the size and scope of what you're trying to build and think about what is it what is your product I think those are some of the things that as a school owner you gotta you gotta consider as a student you know you gotta consider um, as an entrepreneur problem-solving entrepreneur you gotta consider because it's not gonna it's not gonna take much I mean once once the bubble is big enough once the bubble is expanded to the point it can't expand anymore you better believe it will pop and what will be left in its wake so that's that's some of my thesis on the education the system on what I see developing and kind of how things are playing out and that is all I've got for today so thanks for listening if you're passionate about education and especially the beauty industry and want to see you know vibrant successful thriving industry continue to grow continue to you know to, to potentially be you know one of the most sought after industries on the planet then these are things we have to bring to light we have to start having these conversations we can't just pretend it doesn't exist we can't just present the sizzle when there's no steak we have to really get serious if we want to preserve our education in we want to preserve our industry so Thanks for listening. This is Rolling with the D podcast and appreciate you guys tuning in. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.